the water out, he dried it up, and we still are waiting on a call from the restoration company. So that just lets you know how far behind they are. So anyway, you know, thank, thanks to be to God that it's done, and there's a hole in the women's bathroom, so go in there and look at it if you want or not. If you're a man, please don't. Might be awkward. Wait till after church. It's just a hole. It's nothing really to see. Okay, so we're going to get started this morning with some prayer requests and praise reports. We're a little behind schedule because we're slow today. We're waiting. We couldn't start without Belinda. Okay, so who has a prayer request? Yes, sir. Okay. Noel with COVID pneumonia. Who else? Pam. Okay. Man, so just, you know, Lord willing in the creek don't rise. I heard a man tell me that one time, and I am the most literal person in the world, and we left. He was, a, he was kind of a homeless guy, and so we'd stopped to see if he needed a ride, and he said, no, we don't need one. And he had been at church that morning, and I said, I said, I said well, we see you tonight at church. He said, good Lord willing in the creek don't rise, and we, rolled, we moved, and we went on, you know, rolled up the window, and I said, I wonder where he lives. He lives by a creek. So, and, and, and Mike looked at me, and he went, you're so dumb. <laughs> He said, you move, he said, you move from genius to complete stupid idiot all the time. Just teeter that line, don't you? I went, what do you mean? <laughs> right, Mike? Smartest dumb person I've ever met. That's the dumbest smart person I've ever met. Whichever. That's right. You know, I get real fixated on literal things, very black and white. And so it just didn't make sense to me. Oh, anyway, who else has something? Yes, Belinda? Let's remember Doug, yes. Okay, yes. Never? Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's what I heard was going to be the new realtor question. Is this house on a nursing home or hospital power grid? Our fire department, that's right, because you can't go without power. Mine is not on either of those, just so you know. But, hey, I had power every now and then, so that was good. Yes, that's, that's enough. That is. Anybody else? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you hear and answer prayer. We give you glory, honor, and praise, Lord God. And we lift up every need that was mentioned. Those that are struggling in their body, Lord God, for this sister-in-law that has the COVID pneumonia, Lord God, I pray that you would fill her lungs, Lord God, with your breath and with healing power. We give you praise, Lord God, for safety, Lord God, through this, this winter storm, Lord God. And I just thank you, Lord God, that you are faithful, Lord God. And Lord, I just pray reconciliation and restoration in families, Lord God. Let this year be a year of divine reconciliation, Lord God. I believe for such good things, Lord God. My expectations are great, Lord God, because you are a great God. I thank you today, Lord God, and praise you and ask that you would be with Doug, Lord God, that you would give him peace and comfort today, Lord. We just speak, Lord God, the word of God over him in that in that room, Lord God, and ask that your, that your grace, Lord God, would fill the room in every area, Lord God, and that he would have calm and rest, Lord. We thank you, God, for all your all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So I want to start out with a story. I think I've told this story before, but some of you haven't heard it. Now, as you know, I've already told you the story as an adult that the good Lord willing in the creek don't rise. If I'm that dumb with a saying, then there's no telling what I might believe as a child, right? So my parents, um, how many of you, you know, the, the traveling carnivals, right? You know, if you lived in a small town, it was like Six Flags moving into your town. And that's how I saw it. When every year I, we waited for the carnival to come to town, and sometimes they would set up shop at the rodeo grounds and sometimes most of the time they would set up shop at at like the parking lot of a grocery store somewhere like that I mean it was the biggest event ever I mean it was huge right so when I my first year I ever remember going to the carnival I was four or five years old I think I was around four because I don't want you to think I'm that dumb so let's go four so my parents take me to the carnival, and you know, you know the scenario, these little rides, you know, and different ones, and there's kiddie rides, and so my parents take me to a motorcycle ride. All it is is like a merry-go-round of motorcycles, right? You know the ride, and it kind of has a little dip, and it comes back up, and you just get on the motorcycle, and you sit there, and you ride the ride, correct? Uneventful. Well, there was no one there, so no one was on the ride with me. So my parents put me on the ride of this motorcycle. And I'm setting, it's a real motorcycle, you know, so it looks, it's a, been mount, real motorcycles have been mounted to the ride. So they put me on it. I don't want to ride it. I don't. But my parents want me to have a good time. So I'm on the ride. They're convincing me. It'll be fun. That, you know, they think, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to ride the ride. This is probably my hatred of motorcycles to this day. I found it. This is it. Sorry, I can't be a CMA. -er. So I'm on the ride, and the ride, you know, the carny starts it. <laughs> he doesn't look trustworthy at all, you know. So here he starts the ride. Well, in my four year old mind, I think I have to know how to ride a motorcycle. And now I'm sitting here thinking about, I've seen people ride motorcycles, and I know that you, I know that there's brakes, and there's, and all this stuff did this, and then you have to do something with your foot, right? There's, and all, all the mechanisms are there, and you have to shift gears. So I know what has to be done to ride a motorcycle, but I'm four, and I don't know how to do it. And I can't, and the, the steering wheel moves everything. And so I am on this ride and I cannot believe the negligence of my parents to put me on a ride and expect me to ride a motorcycle that I have no knowledge of how to ride. I'm terrified. But I think I've got to figure this out. So I am, I'm hitting the brakes when we're going on curves. I'm turning and I'm hitting, I'm trying, you know, and I'm, I'm amazed that this thing is working out. But the stress and the anxiety and the fear of not being able to ride a motorcycle overwhelms me. And I flip completely out and start screaming, get me off of this ride. What makes you think I can ride a motorcycle? I don't know how to do this. Stop it now. I'm screaming at the carny. I'm screaming at my parents. I am done. So, I mean, he's, he's freaking out. He's stopping the ride. I mean, this kid has gone 
berserk. I am, once I get off, I'm yelling at him. I'm yelling at my parents. I am, I am lecturing them for putting me on a motorcycle when I'm too young to ride one. <laughs> and my mom and dad are laughing. And the carny is laughing. And I think, adults are idiots. Or all the adults I'm around are idiots. And my mother says, Andrea, you didn't have to do anything but sit there. It's a ride. And to this day, I remember that. And I think about the lie of control. How each and every one of us have been overcome. Now, we laugh at the four-year-old, right? But here we are, 40, 50, 60, 70, 20, 30, and we are exactly the same. And we are on our ride, right? And we're trying, and we think that we've got to do all of this, just we're shifting gears and we're doing it now. And we, we feel like we have got to be in control because there's nobody around that we can really trust. That God stands by idly, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit stand by idly and watch us go, hmm, how are they doing? With total unconcern. And we lash out at God. And we say, how dare you put us in a situation that we don't know how to do it. We're not trained for this. I'm not, I can't do this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Wow. That is the lie of control. I, as a child, was overcome by an illusion. But as adults, it's not near as funny, is it? That we become overcome by an illusion of control. And all of us are turning the gears and hitting the switch and doing this and trying to do all the things just right and the right timing. And we're trying to keep our balance and we don't really know. And what happens in that scenario when we feel like we are utterly in control but we are out of control at the same time because we don't have the knowledge for the level of control we feel like we're in, we flip out. How many of you ever flipped out? <laughs> flipped out. Totally lost it. Well, that's what I want to talk about. As we're uncovering the lies, as we are being wrapped in truth, not warped by lies, the, the lie of control will warp us. It really will. And I believe that the lie of control, I mean, I hope that you think about that. The next time you feel out of control, you'll just remember four-year-old Andrea. And that maybe... Quite possibly, in the scenario you're in right now and you're totally out of control, what do you need to do if all I needed to do? I think this ride's supposed to take care of itself. And what would happen? You know, I could have enjoyed that, couldn't I? Have? But I was too dumb. I was too unilluminated. I was too unprepared. I was too un... Yes, I was too un-everything. My, 
I was too, what was it? Right, because I didn't, I mean, my, I was immature in my thinking, right? How many of us are even immature in our thinking because we think we're controlling something we're not controlling? And we're trying to do everything just right. And, and you know, the faith movement has given us a lot of good things. And what I mean by that, the word of faith. If you, know, you, if you know what I'm talking about, I don't have time to go and explain it, but the word of faith movement has given us many, 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 many good things. But one of the things it didn't do so great at giving us was it gave us a lot of formulaic Christianity where we felt like we had to hold everything just right. I mean, I've been asked people before, how'd you pray? What do you mean, how'd I pray? I prayed, God help me. Well, did you ask him to help you by, you know, this, or did you ask him to help you by that? Because if you don't say it just right, you know, God sometimes gets confused about your heart, and he does things contrary to what you really wanted because you didn't say it just right. How many of you have heard that? I mean, we had a, our cousin one time, Laney was in the hospital, and he said, hey, brother-in-law, brother-in-law, he said, he, his, his sister was married to him, he said, hey, Dan called. He said, hey, I heard Lane's in the hospital. I just want to know. I just want to know, how do you want me to pray? He said, what do you mean? He said, do you want me to pray God's will? Or do you want me to pray that God heals her? <laughs> Scarlet fever. IV. But see how we, so you see what I'm talking about? It's confusing, isn't it? Man, we got to get it just right. Or, or be, be careful what you pray for. You just, like God is something, you know how we've all seen genie movies, right? How many of you have ever seen a genie movie? And you rub the lamp, you rub the lamp and the genie comes out. And this is the, this is the, this is the end all, be all. I've got three wishes. We know, we know that genies are historically what? Crafty. Right? And if you don't make your wishes just right, then a wish will cancel another wish and you wind up with nothing because you didn't do it. God. There's more of that illusion of the control. Man. And we just bring it into, craftily bring it into the heart of God. And we put it in his heart, which is not there. Is it there? It's in whose heart? My heart. So let's, let's look I'm, where I want to go here with this. I've got so much stuff. And what we want to do is we want to allow, we want to allow the light of God, of who he really is, to illuminate every dark place in our life. I'm going to start with John 1.18. I found this scripture, and it's just been, well, I read the book. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it was life-changing for me because I have been on a pursuit to understand how Jesus is the word of God. To understand, I understand conceptually. I mean, I understand, I know all the scriptures you know about that. I mean, I've asked Mike this question a thousand times, and I was like, I just don't get it. But this is what I found out about God, is that if he doesn't reveal something to me, I can't know it. I just can't. But he, he poses questions for me, and then he takes me on a journey of discovery that has taken me on this one years, and I probably am just scratching the surface. 
honestly. But I read a book by Athanasius. He was 300, in the year 300 BC, he was a monk, and he wrote a book called The Incarnation of Christ. It was like, I thought, there's somebody out there that had the answers to questions I've been asking for years, and nobody, this should be, this should be required reading for every Christian. Find it. It's short. The introduction to the book I have is longer than the book itself, isn't it, Mike? But the incarnation of Christ, but John 1.18. Now, this is not what he said in there, but as, he began, as I began to look and read and my knowledge just began, I was like, wow. John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God. Wow. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only God in the Father's embrace has made him known. And what's that talking about? Jesus Christ. The one in the Father's embrace has done what? Made him known. No one has ever known God. No one has ever, not seen, not seen, that's true, known God. But Jesus Christ has made him known. That word made known here, I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it is? It's the same word we get. Now, some of you scholars are like this. Other people are like, this means nothing to me. It's the same word we get exegesis from. Jesus exegites, exegetes the Father. Jesus, inter- it's the exegesis is the art or the science of interpretation, right? Right, Randall, is that, did I say that right? Pulls out, right? And brings into revelation, right? Jesus brings forth the Father and reveals him to you, the ones who could without Jesus never, ever know him. Now, what that means to me is, is that Jesus is perfect theology. If Jesus said it and did it, then it's, it's right. Now, much of the people in the Old Testament, did they have perfect theology? No. I mean, we got Tamar dressing up as a prostitute to seduce Judah, so she can get a son. Does God agree with that behavior? Just because it's in there doesn't mean he agrees with it, right? He's working with broken humanity, right? I mean, we've got a lot. We've got, how about Abraham lying about Sarah being his wife and, and going and, and the whole lie? Was that, is that perfect revelation of the Father's heart? See, that's where we get sometimes messed up a little bit is that we try to put into God who he is by man's broken interpretation of who God is. That's what Athanasius calls Adam's mythological God. So when Adam fell, who changed, Adam or God? And Adam and all of us Adamites 
we began to project back onto God a version of who he is that is not true. A version of God that says, we see it right away, don't we? What's the first thing Adam did? When he, under, he mis- started to misunderstand, he no longer, he didn't know who God was. He was in innocence. He walked with God in the cool of the day. And because of the fall, what did Adam do? He, co- he, didn't, yeah, he started covering himself. He hid and he began to cover himself because he said, God is dangerous. And you've got to control the danger with some fig leaf boundaries. You got, Adam, you have been stuck on a ride you do not know how to do. And you better figure it out, boy, because you hear God's sound in the garden and he's coming to take you out. Was that true? Wasn't true of God. It was true of Adam. See how, you see that? Golly, golly, golly. Okay, so now we've got, we've got an illusion of control, and that illusion of control is based in the lie that God is not trustworthy. He is not safe. He will do things that he is erratic. He is... What's the word? Capricious? Sometimes he's like, and sometimes he's like, and sometimes he's like, hmm. And sometimes he's like, I didn't see nothing. And sometimes he's like, aww. You see what I'm saying? You all know. You all know this. See, what we've come to be is that the fall if we get back to the fall, we can get back to the root of our lives, y'all. We can. And we can stop selling. I realized this the other day. God brought me as a child out of the bondage, out of bondage, out of bondage to my circumstance, out of bondage to sin, out of bondage to shame, out of bondage to, to fear. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the child on the motorcycle, there's a reason she was afraid of everything. My life was chaos. I had no place to trust anybody. I had no reason to trust those grown-ups that were in my house. No reason. They were idiots, in my estimation. Based on their behavior. That's all I had to go on. And as a result, you... Mike can attest to this. I, through my life, have been a major control freak. Right, Mike? If he, he's afraid. He's afraid. I, I used to be, right? That's right. That's right. Pre-Christ and even some beyond. I struggled. That wasn't just all. He's, he's afraid now. He didn't know where to step. It's all right. I'll let you off the hook here. If anything began to get outside of control, I knew how to manage it. Fear and intimidation. I mean, my alpha personality, just like I did when I was four. See, I hadn't changed. What did I do? I began to straighten up every single person around me as a four-year-old child. How dare... Yes, she is. How dare you stop that, sit there, go there. 
I mean, that's how I was. My mother's often said, Andrea, I'm so glad that you were born second because you are such a boss. You would have ran a younger sibling in the ground. My brother could not be dominated. So we see this. We see this whole control complex. And I know, I've lived it. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more agonizing and anxiety-producing than feeling as though you have to control everything coming into your life and not being able to do so. And there's only one thing to do. You have to find someone to blame and someone to straighten out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've got some control freaks in here. I know you're there. And we behave the same. Now, not all, Mike is not like this. See, his, his propensity is moving in another direction. He's a beta personality. You know, a B, a B personality. He's the duck on the water. I don't look like they're doing anything. But you look under, and it's like... <laughs> you never see it. Me? I'm like... Rawr! 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 I'm alpha. Now, we believe that men are supposed to be alpha and women beta, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it gets totally upside down and backwards, and society tries to make alpha women become subdued. Alpha women more like B minus. It doesn't work, does it, Andrea? It's the name. Is it the name? They shouldn't have named us that if they didn't want it. So we find out that we are not in control. And I learned that in releasing control through a series of being out of control and a fear completely paralyzing my life because I couldn't control all of the potential problems that would come in, I lived in constant anxiety. I mean, Christian, we're youth pastors. I felt as though I were dying every single day because things were changing at a rate so fast and I felt utterly and completely out of control. I believe this past year has created this environment for so many people. I know it has when pastors are committing suicide. Why? Things I used to control, I couldn't control anymore. And the lie of control says that in the garden, Adam reached for, Adam and Eve reached for, you will be like God. Why would anybody want to be like God? What would they ultimately want? Control. The lie, Satan came and said, God's not good, and you're not in control. What? Mm-hmm. You gotta be. You gotta be careful with God. Hey, there's stuff He didn't want you to know because you're not in control. But if you ate this fruit, you would be in control. What? So Adam and Eve they reached for what they reached for control, and it was a mirage. Reaching for control, being in total control of your life is always a... How many of you have reached for it and it was gone? 
is gone, just like that. And what they got, instead of the promise from Satan, he's a terrible promiser. If you act on any of his promises, you're not getting what you think. He's a slick snake oil salesman, and I mean that in the literal sense. He said, you will be like God. You'll have independence, you'll have control, you can call your own shots, you'll know what he knows. They reach for that. You will be like God. They reached for it, and instead what they got is God is like. With a blank. What is God like? Ultimately, what they got was God is like me. And that's a scary proposition. Because I'm unfaithful. So God must be unfaithful. I feel fear. God must be unsafe. You see, that's what Athanasius calls Adam's mythological God. Was God any of those things? <clears throat> How do you communicate with a transmogrified mind? I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'll get a drink first. It's a long definition. It requires my voice. <clears throat> okay. Transformation. We all know what that is, right? Transformation to be changed. A change for the better. You think of caterpillars into what? Butterflies. What they were, they are no more. They're something far better. Who would rather be a butterfly than a caterpillar? We all would, I think. If you don't, you're lying. Okay. Right? Who prefers caterpillars to butterflies? No one, right? Anyway, so we, we see that that's a change for the better. In the garden, what you find <clears throat> is man made a change. He was created in perfection and in what the Bible calls innocence. <clears throat> When he sinned, when man and woman, mankind, I say that mankind, the Adamites, the race of Adam, we are all Adamites. When mankind reached and believed the lie of control, the illusion of control, they reached out for control, and what they got was transmogrification. Trans, change, morgue, death. What it means is a change that is so absurd and preposterous, you can hardly even believe it happened. I've got an example. How many of you are watch Batman? The old Batman with Kiefer, what was his name? I am Batman. <clears throat> Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. And Danny DeVito played who? The Joker. Riddler. What? Penguin. Oh, see, I knew y'all would know this. <clears throat> now, Danny DeVito, what did he do to himself? Y'all remember the movie? He began to do all these weird, grotesque changes to himself where he's like, has this weird smile, all these things. That would be a perfect example of taking something that was in the right form and moving toward a change that was absurd or preposterous, transmogrification. You see it a lot in plastic surgery. See what I'm saying? Was it Jack Nicholson? The Joker. He did the same thing. So we see transmogrification. So mankind in the garden, they were created one way. In the image of God, they were innocent. When they took the fruit, man transmogrified. Now with a transmogrified mind, that's all you got until you're born again. 
a transmogrified mind, you began to understand God through what? That transmogrified mind. That's all you have. And so the Bible then sets out its course. It's about generation, Genesis 1, 2. Degeneration, Genesis 3. Regeneration, the first promise is shown in Genesis 3, 15. And then glorification. Well, I have since realized that when I say that, I'm sort of missing some stuff. That glorification and then reconciliation and then consummation. <clears throat> now, glorification, how many of you are like me? You put glorification... At the end of time. Right? You like me? But I'm now starting to see that glorification, one aspect of it, comes with end time at the time I am born again. That I now <clears throat> have left behind through my rebirth the old, <clears throat> excuse me, the old rags and the old remnants of that transmogrified, wrong-headed Adam. And I have now, because of the incarnation, who is he called in 2 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 15. Some of you Bible people, you know it. What's Jesus referred to? 2 Corinthians 15, 45. <laughs> You're like, no, Andrea, we don't know it. Okay, the last, the last, who said it? Adam. <clears throat> Is he called the second Adam? What's he called? How many more Adams are there going to be? Why? It's finished. It's finished. So as Adam <clears throat> represented the race of mankind, and he took us where? Where did he take us? Down, 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 down to the fall. He took us, and every, and then so we became completely invaded by transmogrification. Mankind, we had stupid, stinking thinking. And that stupid, stinking thinking was, our victim of it was who? God. Now that's hard for us to kind of grasp, isn't it? Who was the victim of our wrongheadedness? Ultimately, well, we were. See, you don't like to say God's a victim, do you? How could he be? How could he be the victim? Why would he have to send Jesus to make him, to introduce us to him? If we had so messed up who he is in our mind, we didn't change him. He didn't change. But if I believe you're a rotten, no good scoundrel, if I believe that, you may not be, right? I don't think you are. Sorry, you sit on the front. You get this. I believe that about you. That's who you are. That's just who you are. And you're going to have to introduce, and I can't see you. I can't see you in any other light. I can't see you any other way. No other way. I can't see you as loving. I can't see you as trustworthy. I can't see you as good. I can't see you as, as wanting to, to do anything good for me. I can't see it because I am so wrong-headed. I am so transmogrified. My vision of you is so 
unalterably altered that I can't even know you. And thus, God becomes the victim, in a sense, of the fall because he created us for relationship. And now what is completely, completely been removed, the possibility of relationship. And so when Jesus came, the promise was, the promise was always there. When Jesus came as peace, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, the God-man, fully God, fully human. He is the last Adam placed on earth. He has come to undo the ruin of the first. He has come to undo your wrongheadedness about God. He has come to undo every lie that the enemy has perpetrated about God to you. He has come and the angel said, glory to God in the highest. And the shepherd says, we've got to come. And the people from the middle he said, we've got to bring gifts because there has never been a day like today when peace came to earth, when God wrapped himself in the clothes of Adam, stepped into our degradation to turn around this whole crappy cesspool called humanity for the good. And that, my friend, is the good news. I mean, that's it. You don't have to program God by your religious performance. I have spent years. I was a child, 11. That's saying God had to get me young because he knew how dumb I was, y'all. He knew what a desperate situation I was in. I'm telling you, had he not rescued me, I'd be dead or in jail dead in jail. I'm t- I've been hell. I was set up for hell. I was, I was groomed for hell. When I grew up, who my aspiration was, I wanted to go to bars with my daddy and drink whiskey. I said it all the time. That's all I wanted to do. You say that all the time. Nobody ever desires to be a drunk. Uh, yeah. You know how old I was when I did when I smoked marijuana the first time? Second grade. Second grade. It was in our house. It was under the table. It was there. I had older friends. I'd already crossed over smoking years before. You see you see what I'm saying? Because lies. Who lied to my parents? Satan, who lied, and God said, I'm not having it. I'm just not having it. And his wrath, I love his wrath, his wrath was a divine no to my life. That's a new framing of wrath, isn't it, y'all? I would love it if y'all would frame it that way. It'd change your life. You'd love, you'd run to the wrath of God. Oh, Lord, cover me. Get after God, every enemy. Do I not hate those that hate you, God? Now, see, you're calling enemies. You're calling enemies. People, do I not hate those that hate you? God, do I not hate those that hate you? 
I hate shame. I hate fear. I hate anxiety. I hate depression. I hate sickness. I hate cancer. I hate dementia. God, do I not hate those that hate you? Unleash your wrath, God, on all of your enemies this morning. All I got to do is just... You know, sometimes you're wearing wrath. See what I mean? Get them. But see, what happens is we don't believe good things about God. We have our control, and this is all... And we're like, oh yeah, we got our manipulation, and we've got our, and we've got our, what in the world? We've got our manipulation, and we've got our control, and we've got our religion. I came from bondage to freedom, back to bondage. I sat in that church, and they just bondaged me right back up. They did. I'm sorry. I love church. You know how I love church. They said, that booker girl is too out of control. They didn't know. I had been saved like nobody. Now, granted, I hadn't been completely sanctified. I'd still fight. I did. Me and Michael Lewis got in a big fight. He was a boy two years older than me because he's the only people that would fight me were boys two years older than me. This is true, y'all. I probably picked it because I just wanted to fight. Because I was raised, you fought. That's what good people do is they fight because that shows how strong, it's how you maintain control. You have to fight or people will dominate you. So you bully and you control. So I, maybe something, I probably, I'm, I'm telling you, I know I picked it. I know me. I picked the fight. We fought. He's starting to get a little bit older than me and it's getting tougher, y'all. So we get in a big fight. And I proceed to tell Michael Lewis, I've got dirt all over me. He's got dirt all over me. I mean, we're, this is fight. This is not just, no, no, you, no, you. We're rolling around in the dirt, punching, fighting. We get up. I said, you know what, Michael? I think I, I know what the fight was. I think he said a, what I thought was a lie about me. I said, you know what, Michael? You're going to hell. I'm not. That's why I did. Because I'm Baptist, y'all. This is how it works for us. Because Jesus forgave me of my sins. And all this is forgiven. But you, you bore false witness against your neighbor by lying. So you're going to hell. Mine's already forgiven. And I left him. Y'all are thinking, you're warped, girl. Now, granted, I'm, I'm, I'm 11 or 12, okay? Here in a little bit, I hear a knock. I'm at my friend's house. I hear a knock on the door. I go to the door. Sherry said, Andrea, it's Michael. He is standing at the door, holding a little hotel Bible under his arm. Tears are streaming down his cheek. I'm an evangelist. <laughs> he said, 
This is a true story, y'all. If I'm lying, I'm dying here. This is all true. I mean, it's unbelievable, but it's true. It's stranger than fiction. He said, I don't want to go to hell. I brought my Bible. It's all right, Michael. You don't have to go to hell. The preacher lived right behind my friend's house. I said, come on, let's go to the preacher's house. Now, I'm walking over. I got my arm around him. Michael, he's crying. He's crying. It's okay. You know what? You can ask Jesus in your heart just like I did. You can get saved. This is okay. You're okay. He's, okay. I get to the preacher's house, and I said, before we get there, I'm like, now, Michael, I'm sorry about that fight. I'm sorry about that. That probably wasn't right, was it? No. I said, you forgive me? Yeah. I said, okay. I forgive you. Let's just call it done. I said, don't mention it to the pastor. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I knock on the preacher's door. I am, because I'm, I'm a Jacob, aren't I? Man, I'm a trickster. He had to change me completely. I had to wrestle this thing down to nothing. And then I sent him into the preacher. They went in the back room, and he prayed him through the sinner's prayer, and the preacher was so proud of me. He was. I felt kind of bad about this point. The preacher sends Michael away. The preacher's like, you're staying for dinner tonight to call your parents. Hey, I, can't, I didn't want to do that that call either. Hey, I'm, I'm going to eat dinner at the preacher's house. My dad. Oh, God, she's eating dinner at the preacher's house. So I'm eating dinner. I get home. My dad. My dad. As soon as I walked in the door. Oh, you back from the preacher's house? Yeah. What'd you have? Fried chicken. That's what we had. Next question. What piece did he give you? The back. My dad went, <laughs> laughed. He said, next time you'll stay home and you'll get a drumstick or a wishbone. Isn't that funny? You're like, why did he say, you're wondering. See, my dad had a terrible, 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 terrible version of preachers. They're all stingy and greedy. And you, know when, and you know when he gave me that back of that chicken? It's like I saw all of that. And I knew I was going to have to. I knew. You know, when, you're lived in, when you live in my house and you're in control, you know how to stay the steps ahead and know how to fix everything all the time. And when he gave me that, I knew I was going to have to. I just hoped he wouldn't ask. But in my mind, you know what I thought? This is what I thought. This wasn't right, but this is what I thought. Because I still have a transmogrified mind. And I'm trying to. And what I'm doing is, is I'm putting on God images that come from my warped mind. And I thought, well, all I deserved was the back because I got in a fight and God was punishing me. But if I do better, God will be better to me. So I always had this idea that I was controlling the content of God's character toward me by my performance with regard to him. And it, friends, has taken years. Years. 
for me to be able to come to you and have this riddle this knot of transmogrified mind meets loving God soft and I don't know that I'm there yet do we ever get there you say we come I want to come as dangerously close as the ascension of Christ allows and that's what I mean by that I'm gonna back up a little bit I know I've been all over the place I laid awake all night trying to figure out how I was going to deliver this message. I didn't do anything in my notes. That, see, I've always said glorification was way here at the end, right? When we're all, oh, praise God, I'll have a new body. I'll have a new life. Right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? When the trumpet of the Lord shall come and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saved on earth shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I'll be satisfied over there. I'll be fixed over there. I'll be glorified over there. One day yonder in this meantime, I'll fly away after all this mourning and travailing and worm dragging right I, he didn't did do y'all think do y'all think that that's what he came to give us that kind of life me either and i'm tired of living as though it is that's all that's all it is so your assignment is to read ephesians 1 it's the adoption chapter because control is the offshoot of abandonment that's all it is. When you feel like you're abandoned, even if I lived in the house with my parents, but because they were, you know, all the behavior, you know what I mean? You felt abandoned by their, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You didn't feel security. I knew they loved me, but I just thought they were too dumb to take care of me. Because of all the things that went on. And so I felt abandoned, and so as an abandonment, I thought I just got to get, I just got to get through. I just got to stay under the radar. I just gotta, I just gotta maneuver. I gotta keep myself, I gotta keep my carbon footprint minimal. You know what I'm talking about? I gotta not use up too much resources. I gotta not take up too much time. I gotta keep my presence at a minimal. That way I, I don't lose, you know what I mean? I don't get booted out before I'm ready. Because I'm still controlling things. If, now I don't have time to read it, but if Jesus, we got to go, we'll do this next week, adoption. If Jesus came to reveal the Father's heart, how many of you believe that? How many of you, this is what we have to get away from, religion has sort of taught us this in a weird sort of way. And we, we understood it through our transmogrified minds. That Jesus came to fix the dark side of God. That the father had this uh, over sin. And, and Jesus came to fix that. You really reacted, yeah. 
because it's called instruction. Because a father instructs his children. Judges and police officers give law. The West has done God the inservice by how disservice by how we interpret judge and by how we interpret law and how we just created to this judicial package that Jesus comes in as our attorney and, and presents enough evidence to God and he can't help but let us go, but he really wanted to kill us. And so there's see there and, and we, we find that. I don't want to get into that, but adoption. Adoption. That's what he came to give us was adoption. When were we planned for adoption into, here we go, Trinitarian life of God? What is the Trinitarian life of God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When were we, when were we called to the Trinitarian life of God? According to Ephesians 1. If you hadn't read it, you won't know unless you just know. What, Tawana? wanted to adopt us when? Before I was ever formed. Before the form was ever formed. He wanted me in his family. Because a God who is so full of love can do nothing but what? Produce life. And so all things came into being through Christ. And so the fact that I'm here is a fact that Christ wanted you. So there's no such thing as the predestination of you, but not you, and you, but not you, and you, but not. that's, I'm telling you, that is a transmogrified mind. Putting child abuse on a God that is just not true. I was glorified. And we'll talk about this next week. When Jesus ascended. I was. When Jesus came, he got a what? He came to this earth to get what? What did he come to get? Why did he go in Mary's womb? What did he come to get? A body, right? He came to get a body. Yep. When he died, he died in his body, right? And when he rose again, why was the grave empty? So when he ascended, how did he ascend? He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word of God, the human, fully man, fully God. Where's he at? He is now. What we've done is we've taken the old Adam and we've gone, and God's gone. And now that Christ has ascended, he's a human. He's a human. He's the, he's the last Adam. And where's he at? He's, he's ascended and enthroned with God. Now when I am in Christ, because of the good news, where am I? So now when I understand that union of communion, of fellowship, of relationship, this is not religion. I don't want you all to get religion. I don't care about religion. I'd rather you go home and stay in your pajamas all day. It's harder for me to break religious bondage off of you than it is sin. And Jesus is proof of that because how he dealt with the Pharisees. He has called us to reflect to the culture the repaired image of the Father via Father-Son relationship in the Spirit. I have no fear that God is mad at me. And whatsoever things I ask and believe, I shall have them. Because I'm in that 
Trinitarian life of relationship. Now, I know it's a lot. We're going to stop there. You've been adopted, and we'll go from there. Okay, we're late.